0: Section eighteen of the Satyricon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Coleman. The Satyricon by Gaius Petronius Arbiter, translated by W. C. Farbaut. Section eighteen, Volume five, Affairs at Cretona. Chapters 132 to 137. Chapter the 132nd. The loveliness of her form drew me to her and summoned me to love. Our lips were pressed together in a torrent of smacking kisses. Our groping hands had discovered every trick of excitation and our bodies clasped in a mutual embrace had fused our souls into one. And then In the very midst of these ravishing preliminaries, my nerves again played me false, and I was unable to last until the instant of supreme bliss. Lashed to fury by these inexcusable affronts, the lady at last ran to avenge herself, and, calling her house-servants, she gave orders for me to be hoisted upon their shoulders and flogged. Then, still unsatisfied with the drastic punishment she had inflicted upon me, she called all the spinning women and scrubbing wenches in the house and ordered them to spit upon me i covered my face with my hands but i uttered no complaint as i well knew what i deserved and overwhelmed with blows and spittle i was driven from the house proselinus was kicked out too chrysis was beaten and all the slaves grumbled among themselves and wondered what had upset their mistress's good-humour I took heart, after having given some thought to my misfortunes, and, artfully concealing the marks of the blows, for fear that Eumolpus would make merry over my mishaps, or, worse yet, that giton might be saddened by my disgrace, I did the only thing I could do to save my self-respect. I pretended that I was sick, and went to bed. There I turned the full fury of my resentment against that recreant which had been the sole cause of all the evil accidents which had befallen me. Three times I grasped the two-edged blade, the recreant to cut away. Three times by fear my hand was stayed, and palsied terror said me nay. That which I might have done before, twas now impossible to do. For cold with fear, the wretch withdrew Into a thousand wrinkled mare, And shrank in shame before my gaze, Nor would his head uncover more. But though the scamp in terror skulked, With words I flayed him as he sulked. Raising myself upon my elbow, I rebuked the shirker, In some such terms as these. "'What have you to say for yourself, You disgrace to gods and men?' I demanded. For your name must never be mentioned among refined people. Did I deserve to be lifted up to heaven and then dragged down to hell by you? Was it right for you to slander my flourishing and vigorous years and land me in the shadows and lassitude of decrepit old age? Give me some sign, however faint, I beg of you, that you have returned to life. I vented my anger in words such as these. His eyes were fixed, and with averted look he stood, less moved by any word of mine Than weeping willows bending o'er a brook, or drooping poppies as at noon they pine. When I had made an end of this invective, so out of keeping with good taste, I began to do penance for my soliloquy and blushed furtively because I had so far forgotten my modesty as to invoke in words that part of my body which men of dignity do not even recognise. Then, rubbing my forehead for a long time, why have I committed an indiscretion in relieving my resentment by natural abuse? I mused. What does it amount to? Are we not accustomed to swear at every member of the human body? The belly, throat, or even the head when it aches, as it often does. Did not Ulysses wrangle with his own heart? Do not the tragedians damn their eyes, just as if they could hear? Gouty patients swear at their feet, Rheumatics at their hands, Blear-eyed people at their eyes. Do not those who often stub their toes Blame their feet for all their pain? Why will our catos with their frowning brows Condemn a work of fresh simplicity? A cheerful kindness my pure speech endows, What people do I write to my capacity. For who knows not the pleasures Venus gives? Who will not in a warm bed tease his members? Great Epicurus taught a truth that lives, Love and enjoy life. All the rest is embers. Nothing can be more insincere than the silly prejudices of mankind, and nothing sillier than the morality of bigotry. Chapter the 133rd. I called Giton when I had finished my meditation. Tell me, little brother. I demanded, tell me, on your honour, did Ascyltos stay awake until he had exacted his will of you, the night he stole you away from me, or was he content to spend the night like a chaste widow? Wiping his eyes, the lad, in carefully chosen words, took oath that Ascyltos had used no force against him. The truth of the matter is, "'that I was so distraught with my own misfortunes "'that I knew not what I was saying. "'Why recall past memories which can only cause pain?' "'said I to myself. "'I then directed all my energies "'towards the recovery of my lost manhood. "'To achieve this I was ready even to devote myself to the gods. "'Accordingly I went out to invoke the aid of Priapus. "'Putting as good a face upon the matter as I could,' I knelt upon the threshold of his shrine, And invoked the god in the following verses. Of Bacchus and the nymphs, companion boon, Whom fair Dione set o'er forests wide as god, Whom Lesbos and Green Thasos own for deity, Whom Lydians far and wide adore through all the seasons of the year, Whose temple in his own high piper placed, Thou Dryad's joy and Bacchus's hear my prayer, to thee i come by no dark blood disgraced no shrine in wicked lust have i profaned when i was poor and worn with want i sinned not by intent a pauper's sins not banned as of another unto thee i pray lift thou the load from off my tortured mind forgive a light offence when fortune smiles i'll not thy glory shun and leave behind thy worship unto thee a goat that feels his primest vigor father of the flocks shall come and suckling pigs the tender young of some fine grunting sow new wine in crocks shall foam thy grateful praises shall be sung by youths who thrice shall dance around thy shrine happy in youth and full of this year's wine while i was engaged in this diplomatic effort in behalf of the affected member a hideous crone with dishevelled hair and clad in black garments which were in great disorder entered the shrine and laying hands upon me led me thoroughly frightened out into the portico chapter the one hundred and thirty-fourth what witches she cried have devoured your manhood what filth did you tread upon at some crossroads in the dark not even by the boy could you do your duty but. "'Weak and effeminate, you are worn out like a cart-horse at a hill. "'You have lost both labour and sweat. "'Not content with getting yourself into trouble, "'you have stirred up the wrath of the gods against me, "'and I will make you smart for it.' "'She then led me, unresisting, back into the priestess's room, "'pushed me down upon the bed, snatched a cane that hung upon the door, "'and gave me another thrashing.' I remained silent, and had the cane not splintered at the first stroke, thereby diminishing the force of the blow, she might easily have broken my arms or my head. I groaned dismally, and especially when she manipulated my member, and, shedding a flood of tears, I covered my head with my right arm and huddled down upon the pillow, nor did she weep less bitterly. The sailor naked from his foundered bark, Some shipwrecked mariner seeks out to hear his woe. When hail beats down a farmer's crop, His cark seeks consolation from another too. Death-levels cast, and sufferers unites, And weeping parents are as one in grief. We also will beseech the starry heights, United prayers climb best, is the belief. She seated herself upon the other side of the bed, and in quavering tones commenced to accuse the delays of old age at last the priestess came in why she cried what has brought you into my cell as if you were visiting a newly made grave and on a feast day too when even mourners ought to smile enothea the old hag replied this young man here was born under an unlucky star he can't dispose of his goods to either boy or girl "'Such an unfortunate fellow you never saw. "'He has no tool at all, only a piece of leather soaked in water. "'I wish you'd tell me what you think of a man "'who could get up from Circe's bed without having tasted pleasure.' "'On hearing these words, Inothia sat down between us, "'and, after shaking her head for a while, "'I am the only one that knows how to cure that disease,' said she, and for fear you think i'm talking to hear myself talk i'll just have the young fellow sleep with me for a night and if i don't make it as hard as horn all that you see in the world must give heed to my mandates blossoming earth when i will it must languish a desert riches pour forth when i will it from crags and grim boulders Waters will spurt that will rival the Nile at its flooding, Seas calm their billows before me, Gales silence their howlings hearing my step, And the rivers sink into their channels, Dragons, Hyrcanian tigers, stand fast at my bidding. Why should I tell you of small things? The image of Luna drawn by my spells must descend, And Apollo, a tremble, backs up his horses And turns from his course at my order. Such is the power of my word. By the rites of a virgin quenched is the raging of bulls, And the son's daughter Circe changed and transfigured The crew of the wily Ulysses. Proteus changes his form when his good pleasure dictates. I, who am skilled in these arts, Can the shrubs of Mount Ida plant in the ocean, Turn rivers to flow up the mountains. Chapter the 135th At this declaration, which was so awe-inspiring, I shuddered in terror, and commenced to scrutinise the crone more narrowly. "'Come now,' said Inothia, "'obey my orders,' and, carefully wiping her hands, she bent over the cot and kissed me, once, twice. On the middle of the altar Inothia placed an old table, upon which she heaped live coals, Then, with melted pitch, she repaired a goblet which had become cracked through age. Next she replaced, in the smoke-stained wall, a peg which had come out when she took down the wooden goblet. Then, having donned a mantle in the shape of a piece of square-cut cloth, she set a huge kettle upon the hearth, and at the same time speared with a fork a cloth hanging upon the meat-hooks, and lifted it down. It contained some beans which had been laid away for future use, and a very small and stale piece of pig's cheek, scored with a thousand slashes. When she had untied the string which fastened the cloth, she poured some of the beans upon the table, and ordered me to shell them quickly and carefully. I obey her mandate, and with careful fingers separate the beans from the filthy pods which contain them. But she, accusing my clumsiness, hastily snatched them, and, skilfully tearing off the pods with her teeth, spat them upon the ground where they looked like dead flies. I wondered then at the ingenuity of poverty and its expedience for emergency. So ardent a follower of this virtue did the priestess seem that it was reflected in everything around her. Her dwelling, in particular, was a very shrine of poverty no indian ivory set in gold gleamed here no trodden marble glistened here no earth mocked for its gifts but ceres festive grove with willow wicker-work twas set around new cups of clay by revolutions shaped of lowly wheel for honey soft a bowl platters of green bark wicker-work a jar stained by the life-blood of the god of wine the walls around with chaff and spattered clay were covered Flanging from protruding nails Were slender stalks of the green rush, And then suspended from the smoky beam The stores of this poor cottage. Service berries soft, Entwined in fragrant wreaths hung down, Dried savoury and raisins by the bunch, And hostess here, like she on attic soil, Of Hecate's pure worship worthy she, Whose fame Callimachus so grandly sang, twill live forever through the speaking years. Chapter the one hundred and thirty sixth. In the meantime, having shelled the beans, she took a mouthful of the meat, and with the fork was replacing the pig's cheek, which was coeval with herself, upon the meat hook, when the rotten stool which she was using to augment her height broke down under the old lady's weight and let her fall upon the hearth. The neck of the pot was broken, putting out the fire, which was just getting a good start. Her elbow was burned by a flaming brand, and her whole face was covered by the ashes raised by her fall. I jumped up in dismay, and, not without laughing, helped the old lady to her feet. She hastily scurried out into the neighbourhood to replenish the fire, for fear anything should delay the sacrifice. I was on my way to the door of the cell, when, lo and behold, three sacred geese, which were accustomed, I suppose, to demand their feed from the old woman at midday, made a rush at me, and, surrounding me, made me nervous with their abominable rabid cackling. One tore at my tunic, another undid the lacings of my sandals and tugged at them, but one in particular, the ringleader, and moving spirit of this savage attack, did not hesitate to worry at my leg with his serrated bill. Unable to see the joke, I twisted off one of the legs of the little table, And, thus armed, began to belabour the pugnacious brute. Nor did I rest content with a light blow. I avenged myself by the death of the goose. T'was thus I ween the birds of Stymphalus to heaven fled, By Heracles impelled, the harpies too, Whose reeking pinions held that poison Which the feast of Phineas contaminated. All the air above, with their unwonted lamentations shook, The heavens in uproar and confusion move, The stars in dread their orbits then forsook. By this time the two remaining geese had picked up the beans Which had been scattered all over the floor, And bereft, I suppose, of their leader, Had gone back into the temple, And I, well content with my revenge and my booty, threw the dead goose behind the cot and bathed the trifling wound in my leg with vinegar then fearing a scolding i made up my mind to run away and collecting together all my belongings started to leave the house i had not yet stepped over the threshold of the cell however when i caught sight of inothia returning with an earthen vessel full of live coals thereupon i retraced my steps and, throwing off my garments, I took my stand just inside the door, as if I were awaiting her return. She banked her fire with broken reeds, piled some pieces of wood on top, and began to excuse her delay, on the ground that her friend would not permit her to leave, until after the customary three drinks had been taken. "'But what were you up to in my absence?' she demanded. "'Where are the beans?' "'thinking that I had done a thing worthy of all praise, "'I informed her of the battle in all its details, "'and that she might not be downcast any longer. "'I produced the dead goose in payment for her loss. "'When the old lady laid eyes upon that, "'she raised such a clamour "'that you would have thought that the geese had invaded the room again. "'Confounded and thunderstruck at the novelty of my crime, "'I asked her why she was so angry, "'and why she pitied the goose, rather than myself.' Chapter the 137. But, beating her palms together, "'You villain! Are you so brazen that you can speak?' she shrieked. "'Don't you know what a serious crime you've committed? You have slaughtered the delight of Priapus, a goose, the very darling of married women. And for fear you think that nothing serious has happened. If the magistrates find this out, you'll go to the cross.' Until this day my dwelling has been inviolate, And you have polluted it with blood. You have conducted yourself in such a manner That any enemy I have can turn me out of the priesthood. She spoke, and from her trembling head She tore the snow-white hair, And scratched her cheeks, her eyes shed floods of tears, As when a torrent headlong rushes down the valley's drear, Its icy fetters gone when spring appears. "'and strikes the frozen shackles from rejuvenated earth, "'so down her face the tears in torrents swept, "'and racking sobs convulsed her as she wept. "'Please don't make such a fuss,' I said. "'I'll give you an ostrich in place of your goose.' "'While she sat upon the cot, and, to my stupefaction, "'bewailed the death of the goose, "'Proselenus came in with the materials for the sacrifice.' Seeing the dead goose, and inquiring the cause of her grief, she herself commenced to weep more violently still, and to commiserate me, as if I had slain my own father, instead of a public goose. Growing tired of this nonsense at last, See here, said I, could I not purchase immunity for a price, even though I had assaulted you? Even though I had murdered a man? "'Look here, I am laying down two gold pieces. "'You can buy both gods and geese with them.' "'Forgive me, young man,' said Inothia, when she caught sight of the gold. "'I am anxious upon your account. "'That is a proof of love, not of malignity. "'Let us take such precautions that not a soul will find this out. "'As for you, pray to the gods to forgive your sacrilege.' The rich man can sail in a favouring gale, And snap out his course at his pleasure. A dance espouse, no Ecriseus will rail, His credence by hers he will measure. Write verse or declaim, snap the finger of scorn At the world, yet still win all his cases. The rabble will drink in his words with concern, When a cato austere it displaces. At law his not proven, or proved he can have, with servius or labio vying, with gold at command, anything he may crave is his, without asking or sighing. The universe bows at his slightest behest, for Jove is a prisoner in his treasure chest. In the meantime she scurried around and put a jar of wine under my hands, and when my fingers had all been spread out evenly, she purified them with leeks and parsley, Then, muttering incantations, she threw hazelnuts into the wine, And drew her conclusions as they sank or floated. But she did not hoodwink me. For those with empty shells, no kernel and full of air, Would of course float, while those that were heavy And full of sound kernel would sink to the bottom. She then turned her attention to the goose, And, cutting open the breast, she drew out a very fat liver, From which she foretold my future. Then, for fear any trace of the crime should remain, She cut the whole goose up, Stuck the pieces upon spits, And served up a very delectable dinner for me, Whom, but a moment before, She had herself condemned to death in her own words. Meanwhile, cups of unmixed wine went merrily around, And the crones greedily devoured the goose Which they had but so lately lamented. When the last morsel had disappeared, Inothia, half-drunk by this time, looked at me and said, We must now go through with the mysteries, so that you may get back your virility. End of section 18